0: I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends and mobility with the leaders and innovators who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Bill Freivogel, Vice President of Sales and Marketing, Cumberland Additive. On today's episode, we'll discuss how Cumberland is leading the growth of additive manufacturing in Pittsburgh. We hope you enjoy this episode. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's great to have you here because point blank, additive manufacturing play a large role in the future of manufacturing. For our, our listeners who are not familiar with additive manufacturing, how would you describe it to them? Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's also known as 3D printing. And
1: I think it's important first to level set on the technology that Cumberland Additive in particular uses or leverages in the marketplace. So there's a lot of acronyms out there, DED, binder BinderJet, DMLS, SLM. P V F, you name it. Directed energy <laughs> deposition is D E D. You know, uh, binder jet's a different technology. But for us, we participate in the laser and powder bed fusion technology. So we would consider it the most industrialized uh, technology out there. And we convert a three D CAD model from our computer to a physical three D printed object. So. What I, if I go back to laser and electron beam, laser and electron beam are, are the energy sources used to manufacture the part and laze them, weld them layer upon layer, thus added manufacturing you're building up from your, your build plate. The feedstock is powder, whether it's a metal or polymer in our case, variety of different materials. And really, we just continue to build this part, you know, layer upon layer until you have your physical object within the build chamber and an inert atmosphere for powder bed fusion.
0: Are your parts stronger, lighter, sturdier? What is that competitive advantage from the process that you use versus a just a typical three D printer?
1: A, a typical like desktop printer is very different from what we do. Uh, you know, in the fact that we're supporting like aerospace, defense, energy applications that uh, you know are used on these vehicle systems and assembled into aircrafts, for example. But our post print, it's it's really ninety nine percent dense product without any additional post processing so without any further heat treat you're getting a part that's 99% dense so similar or improved you know mechanical properties yield strength uh, tensile tensile strength compared to like traditionally manufactured products like a forging or a machine part um so yeah high, high resolution capable of parts with fine detail and and actually pretty good volume as well so it's fun to, to print things at home. That's a great way to start, start getting into it, and get the idea and the concept going. But for, for what we do, it's it's more industrialized.
0: For the, the aerospace, for example, is that because the cost savings to, to, to manufacture those parts or is, is it the time saving? What is that big draw that's drawing sorry, the aerospace industry into additive manufacturing?
1: Yeah, so that's actually where, where we got started. So we're, we're a 16-year-old company and, and we actually had the first, titanium 6AL4V bracket that was certified and flown on a commercial aircraft around the world. So it, it, for them, it's another tool in the toolbox. It's not gonna replace everything. It's just another way to manufacture parts, taking advantage of you know parts that are, are complex that maybe you otherwise could not have produced traditionally. Maybe you're reducing weight because you're only printing the material you need to get to your final component. And potentially reducing lead times and taking costs you know out out of the supply chain as well. so for for aerospace it, it may be metal applications, it may be polymer applications as well and in cases where if we're doing parts that are required maybe in the final interiors of an aircraft, you know those are some of the last things that are, are completed and manufactured, and we're able to do things pretty rapidly and quickly to meet up with their their critical lead times also, if you think about it from like an, a research and development and a prototype design through finished product for aerospace, it allows them to have some more flexibility and design to make those changes with less tooling, less non-recurring expenses versus some traditional products where to redesign, you've got to completely retool. And there's certainly a, a big cost to that as well.
0: When you look at parts for aerospace, are you shaving off ounces or are you shaving off pounds or does it just depend on the part? Sure,
1: yeah, it depends on the part, but I would equate it to pounds, and pounds means big dollars in, in aerospace. Any pound removed from the aircraft, by to fly ratio is obviously huge, given what they can do from from a gas and economical standpoint.
0: Okay, I'm putting on my Wall Street hat here. I, I read a, well, from one of the big banks, I, I read a report about the, the weight loss drug, it oh, right now, and it said for this airline, and, and I'll remove them, they wanted the passengers to lose weight, and so they're encouraging this drug. If every passenger on the plane was two pounds lighter, the amount of the profitability would go through the roof. This is from a big Wall Street bank. So that's not going to happen because you're going to evade somebody's rights. But what you're doing is you're offering a solution where you have 100, I don't know, 100 passengers on that plane, 200 passengers. Let's just do simple math. So 200 passengers, that's 400 pounds. If you used your technology, you could save that 400 pounds without getting into a p- political store, storm. Why is there not more attention paid to the advantages of what Cumberland's doing from a weight perspective since weight is so important? And we can look at this years ago. Remember, United got the seatbacks, backs the screens to save weight until the customer up it all we have to have them back. But the customer's not going to know if it's a if it's a out of manufactured part versus a traditional part. So to me, it seems like that's a huge growth market for you.
1: Yeah, it it is. And and I think there's there's a couple of things. There's the adoption of AM. So the adoption learning curve, if you want to call it and and say one is an early adopter intends, you know, late. So in other words, the one, they may have already gone down that path of developing the specification requirements that additive manufacturing can give them the results and the specifications they need to meet their rigorous requirements compared to say, you know, a forging or, or a hog out of a plate billet. So part of that is there's a cost to, to adopt AM parts and get them placed onto an aircraft. And, and does that does that process and the time it takes to get it there offset the cost of, of the weight reduction? So the business case absolutely needs to be there. And I think the, the adoption has increased tremendously over the past five to 10 years in aerospace. And I think the more they start designing for additive from the ground up on future aircraft, it gets a little easier than going in midstream and replacing a part. They're taking advantage of it for spares and aftermarket, so that's a good opportunity. But in some cases, it may just be more cost effective to use traditional. I mean, it, it it cannot replace every part in the aircraft. It's another tool in the toolbox. And when applied and used properly, then they start to unlock that value and, and cut some of the costs on the weight, you know, with topology optimized parts, organically grown parts, because you got to think not just aerospace, but also space applications as well. So unmanned versus manned uh, leads leads to different opportunities as well.
0: A major airline years ago took me on a tour of their maintenance facility, and there was an area behind a curtain I wasn't allowed to go to said, United States government property Do not go over this line. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm, you're going deep doo-doo land if you do that. So I didn't want to go into deep doo-doo land, so I didn't go over the line. But they had all these co-located uh, repair facilities inside of their main hub. Hypothetically, could Cumberland co-locate one of these major airlines or a, a large uh, airline manufacturer, could you co-locate your system inside of there to increase the time to bring it closer to your end consumer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say I I think that's definitely the future of additive manufacturing in some cases. How do we get closer and closer to the end user? And and in cases with with aerospace or space applications, a lot of our, our customers have captive capabilities. I mean, they, they brought printers in-house. And in some cases, it's a good thing. Because one, they start to better understand the technology themselves. They start to build their own technical database, what they can and can't do. But there's plenty of capacity needed and opportunity to go around that it, it helps move that process along for for Cumberland. So if we were to place a printer there, it, it's certainly something that could happen. But at the end of the day, it's not unfortunately as easy as print, print, hit the button, you know, and print, and and voila, comes apart. There's a lot of ancillary operations. There's a lot of tribal knowledge. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of overcome challenges over the years that that are put into to, to getting to where we are today. So, in those cases, we would certainly be collaborating from not just put a machine there, but also personnel and people, because really at the end of the day, it's about it's about the people operating the machines that know what they're doing, coupled with the engineers, et cetera, and operations to to manufacture these parts repeatedly.
0: What does it look like from an infrastructure standpoint? Whether in your in the Cumberland office or in an office, do you have to have a clean room to operate this? What is the, do you have to design something special? What does it look like from an infrastructure standpoint? Yeah, so for what we do, we don't have a clean room. We we have pretty phenomenal
1: uh, manufacturing facilities. We actually just just opened one in in Pittsburgh. The nice thing was we got to see that from from ground up, Greenfield all the way up. But it, as it relates to the products we're manufacturing. We, we don't need necessarily a clean room. As we branch into more medical components, which is something we're doing from a strategic diversification standpoint, There, that could be in the future where we get there, but there's definitely some some building blocks before we get to that point in the future. But yes, others do have that capability.
0: Cumberland has the presence in Texas. Why expand Neighborhood 91 in Pittsburgh? Was it the town of the university system? Was it the overall Ecosystem for additive manufacturing. Why Why did the expansion to Pittsburgh? We needed additional capacity,
1: and we saw this tremendous opportunity at what we believe is a game-changing additive manufacturing campus. Um, so let, let's step back and level set on what this this ecosystem has been called. So it's called Neighborhood 91. So Pittsburgh has or is known to have 90 neighborhoods, and we're calling this the 91st Neighborhood because it's it's truly a neighborhood it's an, it's an ecosystem beginning to end for additive manufacturing. So one of the reasons that that we you know came to this campus was the fact that you have everything done under one roof and in one community. So logistically when you have powder manufacturers on site and they're handing the the powder off to you to then put and in load into your printer and then you print and then you do the the post value added processing like CNC machining if required or heat treat and then final inspection, all there on the campus, and then have access right there to the Pittsburgh International Airport runway to ship product anywhere in 24 hours. That that becomes a logistical game changer, cutting down costs. Um, and you're certainly helping from a logistics standpoint. And then if you think about Pittsburgh in addition to the airport, major highways, rivers, I mean, good good logistically, and then being on the airport grounds, you know, good, strong uh, resiliency from from an energy standpoint. So we've had power outages uh, at our facility. Believe it or not, Texas and, and Austin, Fleurville, where we're located, had a catastrophic storm a couple of years ago, shut down our printers, and that, that's terribly expensive. So in this case, a second facility offers some additional risk mitigation should we face that in the future as well.
0: I, I mean, use the term insourcing. You, you you said you have your suppliers there for the powders. Is that is your it's The Cumberland supply chain all, all inside of neighborhood 91. So you can go knock on supplier ones or, hey, where's my stuff? Go knock on supplier or do. Hey, where's my stuff? Instead of trying to go all over the world to find it, is it all located there? Or is that the, the overall vision of where this is going?
1: Yeah, so that is absolutely the overall vision of where it's going. Still in the the, the somewhat early stages, but there is a powder manufacturer already on site, uh, Powder Metalworks, and so we we continue to see that being the way of the future. We also have a separate building that stores the powder material. In some cases, you know, you have materials that are, are reactive, highly flammable, or just given some of the regulations that we strive to follow um, in the rigor with with how we separate the powder and keep it in a secure location as well with, with good security measures. That's another advantage. So we've got you know, quick access to it, but yeah, that that's the goal, Grayson, from from beginning to end, for all operations to be under one roof. For Cumberland, in particular, our core competencies are additive manufacturing, three D printing of metal and polymers, coupled with CNC machining solutions. So, adding you know final machining, and then we we go and final inspect and provide to our customers a finished component for built-on assembly. So. Taking taking the risk out of it for them, you know, delivering them a finished product. So for us, we we may not have all those in between processes under our roof, but we got our core ones. And if we can leverage local heat treat and powder manufacturers, because we don't actually manufacture powder, we buy it and and then print it. Let's leave that to them and their expertise. But we we certainly become more dangerous if if we've got access to that right there on site. But even now, another good good advantage of the campus makes me think of this is. We use 6K additive, and they're in the Pittsburgh area. So within you know two-hour radius, there's already pretty robust and well-established um, suppliers that, that are needed for additive manufacturing technology as well.
0: Is the powder trade as a commodity as corn, soil, uh, soy, pork, oil? Is it is it a commodity where those prices are constantly fluctuating based on market demands, or, or is it a pretty fixed cost?
1: It, it's a pretty fixed fixed costs, but it really depends on the allying elements and what's going on. There's so many factors that go into it, in my opinion. But so far in, in the four years that I've been with the company, it's, it's been fairly stable within reason. And what we do is secure, you know, long-term agreements and so forth. I can't get into the details of those, but that, that certainly can help in some cases. But yeah, that, that's, I think that's all I'll say on, on, that, on that side of things.
0: You have to, sh- you have to secure your your oil to make your engine go, or if you're a battery you to get your electricity to make your battery electric vehicle go. So we have all the components to go. You have your ecosystem, let's call them friends and partners, inside of the Pittsburgh region, inside of Neighborhood 91. What type of capacity output is Cumberland looking to achieve in Pittsburgh?
1: I, it, that's a big question in terms of, I think, how you look at it and how you dissect capacity. But for us, in a short year, we've already... Become AS9100D approved, and we're in an ITAR accredited facilities. That certainly helps with, you know, the likes of aerospace, defense, energy, you know, medical companies, and and so forth. And in that case, in that period of time, because we've had an established company out of um, Texas, where we're running 15 plus printers, we were able to, in some cases, extend that as additional capacity, as well as bring on new new products um one one example you know we're supporting the r m e resilient uh, manufacturing ecosystem, a defense program uh, as well as other you know programs in the defense space and era there that I can't necessarily get into the details of due to the confidentiality and so forth in the itar you know regulations there but we're 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 humming we're humming on all cylinders we're we're pretty much at capacity there and and it's fun to have the conversations with those who decided to actually move to our facility one of one of our colleagues actually moved from Pflugerville Texas with his family to capitalize on the opportunity so he took his cnc machining capabilities uh he's now running our cnc machine shop there but also cross functionally trained on our slm 280 machines our, our printers we use to make the parts in Pflugerville well so he could then you know support the uh, slm 500 similar architecture but another um, like Family Printer in Pittsburgh. So between him and, and colleague Kyle, they're able to, to work and cross-functionally support there. But the, the questions and, and, the, and the things that I hear, you know, when are we getting more people in here to support? So that that's where we're headed. So we built it to then add more printers and add more CNC machining and other ancillary operations um, over a period of time to to get us there and keep growing. So really, it's it's just a matter of how many printers can can you get in there and, and continue to mimic and, and offer some diversity there.
0: A hypothetical, Pittsburgh's up at full steam. You're happy, the business team's happy. It's operating at full steam. You have the facility in Austin. Will different objects or parts or be printed in different locations? We so have different machines that will specialize in one form of printing versus another, or is it just going to be closer to the customer? How are you going to divide up that, that workload? Yeah, sure. A lot
1: of it comes down to the material, for one.
0: You know, is it aluminum
1: ALSI-10MG, is it titanium-6-4, is it a, you know, a, a nickel-718, and so forth? So which which printers loaded with that material? Because we like to keep a printer loaded with one material and ideally running serial production parts over and over again. And then also the geometry of the part. So what what type of geometry? So does it fit a mid or a large format printer? How many can you nest? How can you orient the part on the build plate to get efficiencies and all of that good stuff from an engineering standpoint? And then to go back to where we started earlier in the conversation comparing laser to electron beam, is the part better suited for electron beam or is it better suited for laser powder bed fusion? And that comes down to the specifications requirements that our customer flows down. Like for example, electron beam, in some cases you may be able to vertically nest parts, whereas laser powder bed fusion, you've, you're, you're nesting what can only fit on that build plate and they're anchored down the plate through support structure to help with you know, heat, stress relief and, and dissipation. So it just depends on part geometry, materials, and working closely with our customers on a design assistance to determine which, which is the best you know, solution for them. We like to operate under you know truly one company. So the customer comes to us, they provide us their, their part. We're build to print, but we work with them on design you know, assistance and and try to be less transactional, more of a technical partnership. But then from there, Cumberland's the name on the on the face of, of the door. We we take it from there and figure out where to print either Pittsburgh Texas should have no impact on them other than just giving them the best best viable option and solution
0: at the end of the day. But that's what the customer wants. That that's truly what they want. They they want the best option which is best for their business. Now I'm curious, is there a limitation on what Cumberland can print? For your customers, are you limited by size? Are you limited by functionality? So, let's say a plane, for example, when it hits the ground, there's a lot of impact. Are there limitations of of where you can print? That a customer comes to you and say, "Hey, Bill, I want to do X, Y, and Z." Like that's a really crazy idea, but let us let us look into that and see. What do those limitations look like?
1: Yeah, sure. So it definitely can be limited by the the build envelope, the size of of the printer. We can do anything from a you know a couple inches up to. You know, about a foot, just depending on how you orient it and so forth. So yeah, that that definitely can be a limitation if we're doing like mat big parts on our EOS M400. You know, 400 millimeter by 400 millimeter by 400 millimeter. There are, you know, parts that actually fill that entire build plate. You know, X Y Z. In other cases, there may be smaller parts, but we can we can nest them across the build plate and get some efficiencies. I'd say the the future of the technology we've seen it go from one laser to dual laser to now four to even up to 12 lasers so it's become pretty phenomenal in terms of where the technology is going in in terms of size and in speed but at some point you you really have to determine where where's where's the limit if there is one just depending on your parts needs and the different types and technologies of, of additive.
0: What do 12 lasers allow you to unlock Is it cutting the material? What is the advantage that 12 lasers gives you versus the, the, let's say the early days when you only had two lasers? Yeah, sure. So I
1: think we don't have a 12 laser printer. It'd be great to hopefully get one someday. And we certainly have good space for it um, in our facilities We just need to justify the right business case and the right volume. So by that meaning it's automotive, in my opinion, automotive type volumes, really high, high volume, multiple lasers maybe if one goes down you know you you don't have to to stop stop the build because you got multiple lasers working in in tandem there so just I i think it's volume and then sheer size of parts as well
0: well you don't have a 12 laser today you do have an eol electron beam melting powder bed fusion system what advantages does that give you yeah so that gets back to um
1: what i was saying in regards to electron beam versus laser with with electron beam there's certain advantages and lasers. There's there certain advantages of two different technologies. With, I'd say, electron beam, you, you have cases where you can vertically nest multiple parts in one build, less support structure. In some cases, you're printing and annealing or heat treating in one operation. But it just depends, can the can the customers accept that part if the, the tolerances maybe aren't as tight as you would get from a laser component? So it's just all, all, all dependent, really. And then just... Both both platforms, you, you can get access to, to different materials and, and open up some opportunity there as well.
0: When you're you're sitting here, listeners saying, "Okay, this is really interesting," and they're wondering, "What impact will additive manufacturing have on traditional manufacturing? Will you eventually become friends? We become frenemies? Will you be competitors? Where is where is it, it going to end up?" Yeah, yeah, we'll call it competitors,
1: I guess. So, I think there's there's plenty of room for everyone to play. In the sandbox, as they say. I mean, it, again, it's it's another tool in the toolbox. When you apply it properly, it unlocks tremendous value. But it has to be the right part. So I see the the industry moving away from. Well, can you print this? Well, sure, you can. But should you print it? And that needs to be the key question we're asking. We, we've got to be printing the right parts. That that's adding value to to our customers, to our, to our clients, and to society. Really, at the end of the day. So I think there's there's definitely an opportunity for everyone to play in this space together because you're you're going to continue to need traditionally CNC machine product, and you're going to need forgings and extrusions. You're going to need a lot of these parts. What additive does, it just, it opens some design freedom and allows us to manufacture maybe parts that weren't necessarily feasible before, or they're good replacement parts to do it more economically because you're reducing weight by taking advantage of, of the technology. And that gets back to what I was referring to with like the topology optimized parts where you're only printing what you need and organic type looking components, so it's really exciting to see a lot of those unfold even with our own product portfolio and in space applications as as well
0: on the back side of that, how
1: do you ensure quality control yeah, so quality control's obviously got to be in in everything we do from beginning to end and and I think there's a personification out there where People want to put additive in this special corner that it needs some type of additional quality than, you know, your CNC machine parts or your forgings. Really, it's it's another manufacturing process and it's it's laser welding. So we're welding, you know, material on top of material. So as we built a technical database over the past 16 plus years, we've been able to demonstrate to our customers like for like that this titanium bracket can get you the same. End result from from testing specification requirements that you could from a traditionally or sorry from an additive manufactured part. So it, it's it's process control that that's huge and certainly the people behind that and following the process control, qualifying you know the parts and, and components and, and seeing that through from from beginning to end. Quality management systems very robust. You know where AS ninety one hundred D So a lot of that's you know built into. Um, our DNA and, and really, you know, what we're doing there from a, a quality standpoint. So process qualification, part qualification, and product testing. I mean, that that's what we say is the, the basic approach to qualification and where you can get some of that repeatability and, and AM. So we have a lot of different printers and we want to see repeatability across different platforms, across different materials, and the biggest way to to do that is to build the technical databases and and show we've got that process control to our to our customers.
0: Is the data one of the key selling points when you're meeting with a new potential customer to show them and they're asking, "Well, we're thinking about out of manufacturing, we're thinking about Cumberland, but we're not sure." And that you that you, obviously you're going to show them a part that you manufactured, but then do you also show them the the data that reinforces your quality control and reinforces the quality of the product that you're printing for them?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. So you've got some key essential components here as i mentioned repeatable process you got data and intelligent uh, data analysis and that all leads to then ultimately building trust with with their customers so yeah absolutely i mean for us it's it's data but it's over a period of time and, and demonstrating to them that you know we can meet the mechanical properties etc and then getting you know technical assistance agreements in place to demonstrate to our customers that you know, we we have this. We've proven it out. So, do you customer really need to go down that path of, of building all this data, or can you look at our data, compare it to yours, and and realize we can get there faster? And and that's where we're starting to differentiate in the marketplace. And we've been able to bring, you know, parts to to space aircraft, for example, fairly rapidly compared, you know, to to the past. So definitely moving in that direction, um, and, and data is absolutely a key component of it.
0: The, the overall theme, I would say, of what you're doing at Cumberland is you're increasing efficiency. I mean, that's really when I think about it, and efficiency really helps businesses scale. We talked about aerospace. We talked about defense. We talked about space. Are there other major markets that Cumberland's working in where you have customers from other segments, perhaps automotive or traditional manufacturing? Are there other major markets that you're actively working in?
1: Yeah. So we, we've we gone through the pandemic as a small business. If you rewind, I hate to take you back to that that challenging time, but... We, we kind of hunkered down, we looked at our markets, you know, aerospace obviously had some serious headwinds. And so we started to strategically diversify our, our, our market portfolio in doubling down in, in space applications, in, which is one you alluded to. and But then also we're, we're striving to diversify into medical and we're going down that path. There's a lot of good opportunity for added manufacturing and, and medical components. And then uh, certainly automotive as well and we recognize we can't be everything to everyone so we really try to stay vertically focused but if if there are certain you know procedures processes qms you know as9100d type customers and markets that we've already got the foundation and we just need to tweak the recipe a little bit and and we can get there fairly quickly and there's good opportunity then that that's been our next you know logical step and then we actually do a lot in energy so we Power gen, oil and gas, a lot of flow control devices, disk stacks, where you have components that traditionally may be manufactured through sheet metal and kind of braze layer upon layer, whereas we're able to 3D print one monolithic piece, printing in these tortured channels and, and pathways that um, otherwise would be challenging to do with different different processes. And a lot of these are product families, so they may have different designs but fall within the same product family, and we don't have to tool up for each one of those. We're able to print those specific geometries in those product families, and do it uh, pretty pretty repeatably and a good volume.
0: It's a great time to be in the energy business. Merger Monday is alive and well. You have ExxonMobil buying Pioneer Resources. You you have Chevron buying Hess and. Uh, Mr. Mike Worth, the CEO of Chevron, I'll, I'll say it here, it's very important. They're still going to have the Hess truck for Christmas. The Hess truck is part of the deal. It was actually written in the contract that the Hess truck stays. So, and then the International Energy Association saying peak oil at 2050. So, that's a, energy and oil and that is a very big growth market because all the refining coming online. Medical's interesting. A buddy of mine had a hip replacement the other day and he came over. Three days later, I was like, what the heck are you doing over? Said, well, I'm thirsty. So, I poured him a glass of wine. I said, how are you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, a robot did it for me. And it was amazing that a robot did his hip surgery. When you say medical, are you trying to put the parts on the robot that did my buddy's hip surgery? Or, or where, where in the medical spectrum are you 3D printing stuff?
1: Yeah, well, look, I look forward to the day where we can we can print that part and your buddy can even pick it up from our facility and walk it into the uh, surgical room. Maybe, maybe never even encounter a doctor, talk to the machine and, and have them insert that part. Now, the, the advancement technology, they're incredible. Um, what what we would be three D printing are like surgical instruments, but also implants as well. You know that that's definitely a place because titanium six four, for example, it's biocompatible, promotes bone growth, so good 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 material. There's other materials they're using for medical as well, and in some cases, you know, if you take electron beam technology, that the surface finish versus lasers I alluded to earlier sometimes can yield well for that bone to bone
0: interaction within the body. Cumberland's full of growth markets. I don't know any other way to say it. You're full of growth markets of, of, of where you're going. Overall, how do you see the additive manufacturing sector growing? Obviously we we have the growth markets. Do you just see gaining market space in, in those sectors, or do you have perhaps see another sector coming online over the next decade?
1: I, I must say, well while we're growing and it and it's rapid that, that comes with challenges as well. So it's not all uh roses and, and sunshine. You know, we we are Working close with companies because you have you have to change cultures, right? You have to you have to get additive in the DNA. But we definitely have a good head start. So there's there's organic growth within those companies where they've they're further down the adoption of additive manufacturing curve. You know they have parts on vehicles and and in space and on aircraft and automotive and so forth. That in the in there we we look at and work together to say, okay, how do we design more parts for additive from bottom up and looking at future aircraft. So. Air air mobility and taxis, I think, would be a good future place for additive. Getting to get back to your question about the the future, I think getting closer and closer to the end user, to, to coin the words of of defense, you know, getting closer, bringing capability closer to the warfighter, I- extending space, you know, where we can have printers on spacecrafts and they're able to print out maybe a part that broke. So it, it's it's definitely gonna move further that way. But I think there's a there's a limit. It just depends on. The, the rigors of the component and what's required there and, and and can you have that printer by your side or does it need to be placed you know back at a facility so i yeah i think i think the the future's bright and and we're excited to what's to come here
0: let's narrow focus this what's the future for cumberland additive
1: yeah so i would say for us uh, continuing to fill out the the existing facilities but also i would say you know strategic acquisition so stay tuned You know, we continue to have big things happening within our our company as we look to grow and and acquisition where companies fit our culture and and have, you know, that vertical integrated growth both in our markets, but also, you know, with with our synergistic customers is is a logical next step as well. So as as a small business, I think that's key to us too. We want to continue to remain a small business and and maintain that uh, differentiation through, Know, agility and responsiveness to our customers that that's important to us we want to we want to have the the pedigree and the history of of big companies w- with you know the right processes and foundation but we certainly want to maintain that that small business nimbleness which allowed us to get through the pandemic allowed us to come out stronger and and diversify into these markets to open up the neighborhood 91 pittsburgh facility and and then to now start looking at um you know big big acquisitions and keep building this connection between you know, Pflugerville, Texas, and Pittsburgh, PA, where our current locations are.
0: And if you have customer service as you scale and grow, it's all it all goes together and all compensated because if your customers are happy, the business grows and allows you to do those acquisitions. Bill, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thank, thanks for the, the time and, and for listening in. I would say additive, it's, it's a challenging Business it's, it's capitally intensive, but if if you got the right people, and you got the right process and, and technical know how, and you have those technical chops to know what to do with the data, how to apply it, it it, it can unlock um, a lot of value for for society, and and certainly pay pay dividends for the future of where we're going with you know space travel and and aerospace and, and air taxi and, and medical, you know extending life, etc. I'd also Really encourage people to continue investing in STEM. So we we need the next generation of, of students. You know they're they're critical to the future and and continued growth. There's certainly a lot of challenges ahead for internationally for you know for our country, et cetera. But I, I think we're up for the challenges, and I think additive is another way to um, knock some of those barriers down. It's just going to you know take one one print at a time, if we'd say.
0: America is always up to the challenge. Additive manufacturing is the future. Today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today. The future is Cumberland additive. Bill, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thank you, I appreciate time. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we speak with Daniel Barrell, co-founder and CEO, Re Automotive. He'll discuss the first fully X-by-wire platform on the market that increases vehicle stability, responsiveness, and safety. SAE International
1: makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.